Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show, Adam Hooper. Victor, thanks for having me on. Excited to, uh, to have a talk today. Well, great to have you here. Now, Adam, you've been in this game for a little while. You've been in different aspects of it, now almost in the fintech end of the spectrum. But before we dive into the details, maybe give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah. So I started, actually, I used to be in the golf business. I was a, a teaching teaching pro in the golf business um, and ended up being a private coach for a guy who was down in, in Malibu, California, had more money than anybody could spend in eight lifetimes. And, and he had made a lot of that through real estate. And so that was um, one of my first looks on the other side of the counter to, to see what life could be like in the, in the real estate space and ended up getting out of the golf business in early 2000s and started cutting my teeth as a commercial broker in, in central Oregon. You're doing everything. It was a small enough market that we got to touch all different facets, tenant rep, landlord rep, investment sales, a little bit of everything and ended up getting my, my CCIM membership and you know, wanted to do bigger transactions and bigger deals. So started my own firm where we were doing some mostly build a suit financing, some, some single tenant net lease product, working with some developers, doing some transactions there and then got into the equity side and, and joint venture equity, joined a firm down in Northern California in 2010-11 timeframe to help start their joint venture equity team. And then this regulatory change came about in 2012 with the Jobs Act. And that was the the original Jobs Act, Jumpstarter Business and Startups Act that was really formed around how do you get small businesses easier access to capital? And real estate certainly wasn't the intended beneficiary of that regulation and that regulatory change, but it really was for a cafe on the corner or a small consumer product company a way to provide them access to capital markets that they didn't have before. And so where, where I was sitting in the capital market side of the real estate space, seeing everything that was going on with these earlier, uh, you know, Indiegogo and, and Kickstarter and these rewards-based crowdfunding sites, trying to th- think, is there a way that we can take that similar mechanism, which is leveraging the internet as a distribution channel, could we layer that on top of this new regulatory environment that allowed for these private investments to be publicly advertised and, and build a, a platform and a marketplace around it? And so end of, of 2012, early 2013, we, we, we'd done our, our sanity checks, as we called them, talked to a lot of different real estate managers, investors that we knew, and, and plenty of attorneys to see, is there, is there a path to do this in a legal and compliant way? And, and turns out there was. So we, we left the firm that we were at in 2013 and, and started Real Crowd a little over nine years ago now, which is which is kind of crazy. It feels like it's only been a short while, but it's been almost 10 years. So it's a, a quick version of, of how we got to the start of Real Crowd. And in those 10 years, we've had now over eight and a half billion dollars of, of real estate through the platform, tens of thousands of investors all across the country that have that have participated in these in these investments. So really trying to figure out how can we bring those private real estate deals out to as broad of an audience as possible. That, that's really what drove us to start the company. In the early days when, for example, Reg CF, which was one of the very first so-called crowdfunding uh, securities regulations to come out, hit the streets, there were, it was met with a lot of excitement, but that limit of just over a million dollars in a 12-month period for real estate actually ends up being a fairly practical limitation. How much of your volume was based on that pure crowdfunding exemption versus the more classical regulation D? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And so we've actually done none in the in the Reg CF space. Um, so we've been exclusively in the in the Reg D world. And as you mentioned, you know, er- earlier on, and we've seen some changes to Reg CF now. Obviously, increasing that to five million, I think, makes that a lot more interesting. Yes. But what we saw was the additional a couple of things with that. First, the limitation of how much you could raise a million dollars for all the additional hoops that everybody has to go through to get to that. Not a lot of the real estate managers that we were working with were necessarily willing to go through those additional steps, right, to get to that. So if there's an easier avenue for them to get to capital by way of a a Reg D offering, leveraging the general solicitation, right, doing it as a 506C on our marketplace, um, that was a route that most of them went. And so we we haven't seen really a lot of the Reg CF in the commercial real estate space at all, not even just on our platform. It's gonna be interesting to watch though, to see now that that's jumped up to 5 million, if we're gonna see more adoption in the real estate space, it's something we're keeping an eye on. Obviously that comes with it, a you know a registration as a portal and, and some other kind of regulatory compliance issues that come along with that. So we haven't, we haven't operated in that space historically. If we start seeing demand or interest from the managers that we're working with to, to raise capital in that avenue, we're certainly going to keep an eye on it, but it hasn't really been a, a very active access to capital markets in the real estate space that we've seen. That makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense that the online mirrors what's happening offline as well. Mm-hmm. So you're primarily Reg D and 506C in particular, which is limited to accredited investors only because of course, 506B for non-accredited has the limitation of non-solicitation. Mm-hmm. Within the platform itself, if someone comes forward with an offering, it's maybe a value add apartment project or something like that. Do they need to bring their own investors? Is it strictly a platform to aid with the compliance or do they have access to the investors that are previously invested uh, on your platform? Yeah, it's a little bit of both and, and certain managers will approach it differently. So we have a network of, again, tens of thousands of investors that we have in our in our network that when a manager comes to us and, and we go through our process and you know we, we go through our background checks and verify and approve them to, to use the marketplace. When they launch an offering, that will get access to all the investors on our network. So that's a, that's a big component for managers that, um, that are, are, are leveraging this as they get access to this pool of investors that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get in front of. And that's, again, really the beauty of these general solicitations is using the internet as a distribution channel. Some of the managers that we've worked with, the, the process that we have in place just from converting their existing investor base into actual investment dollars by way of, again, having the online portal, they can consume the information on their own terms, streamlining the document process, e-signatures. One of the big changes is when you do a general solicitation, there's that elevated requirement for verification of accreditation, right? So in the true private placement 506B space, the investor only has to self-certify that they're accredited, right? They can just check a box. Yep, I'm accredited. And and the manager has to do nothing more. They can rely on that self-certification. When you make that general solicitation, the manager has to take what the SEC was kind enough to define as quote unquote reasonable steps to verify that everybody in there is accredited. So you can't rely on that checkbox anymore. Right. So we work all of that into our process, right? So we work with a, a third party verification service. Every investor that goes through, they'll get a letter from an attorney that's basically said, hey, we've reviewed this person's financials. We believe that they're accredited. Here's a certificate that says so. So when managers are, are raising capital in a 506C fashion, Oftentimes, yes, it is easier for them to just run all of their investors through one process rather than running these tandem processes. Uh, so we've seen some that will come to us again. I think that's the the big differentiator of how we operate our platform and, and something that we felt is 
really important in the real estate space. It's still a relationship business. So we operate as a very direct platform. So the investor at the end of the day has a direct relationship with that real estate manager. They're, they're transacting together. We're processing that and providing the marketplace for them to meet. But at the end of the day, that relationship is directly between that investor and the real estate manager. And so rather than running two separate processes where they're getting this new pool of investors through RealCrowd and through that marketplace, and they're also raising capital from their existing offline network, friends and family, what that might be. Uh, sometimes, again, they'll just kind of run that through the, the, our process from start to finish, streamline everything, and then they just run one process. So a little bit of both that we see on the marketplace. Can you talk a little bit about the spectrum of offerings that fit within your wheelhouse? Is this just apartments or is it commercial, industrial, land? What, what types of offerings are you typically seeing across your, across your desk? Yeah, it's a pretty broad spectrum. We don't do land. We haven't done any single family residential, although they think there's some really interesting build to rent strategies out there right now in the single family space. We've taken a look at some of those. Outside of that, major food groups, office, retail, industrial, a lot of multifamily, some hospitality, some self-storage, both individual assets and funds. So we'll do, you know, if a manager is raising a 50, 150, $200 million fund, uh, they can raise a portion of that equity through the marketplace as well. In terms of, of investment profile, a lot of the investors are, are looking for some yield component, right? Generally, I would say that cash flowing opportunities tend to perform a little bit better than what we'd see with a development opportunity. Um, there's definitely a cash flow component that people are looking for. And geographically agnostic, we've seen deals, gosh, I think in 37 or 38 states around the country. So pretty broad spectrum of, of investment offering types. We're more focused on the manager, right? What is their background? What's their track record of success? You know, what, are, what are their qualifications as a manager? Um, and then once they're approved, they can, they can use our marketplace to raise capital for their offerings. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you look at the offerings that perform the best, sponsors often come up with all kinds of sophisticated waterfall methods. What works the best? Is it simple? Is it uh, something that offers the best return? What what typically captures investors' attention? You know, simplicity is key, right? For a lot of investors that are coming onto the marketplace, this might be the first time they've ever really had access to invest in these private deals. So, Anytime you add a layer of complexity, that's just one more potential barrier that can cause someone to kind of pause for a second, maybe not end up investing. So certainly we've seen simple structures, uh, you know, preferred return somewhere, you know, market we're seeing seven to 9% as a preferred return. And then a simple promote beyond that, we, we've seen those usually do the best just across the marketplace. When you look at adding a multi-tiered waterfall structure, yeah, those can get incredibly complicated. And if you're not a sophisticated real estate investor, oftentimes, you know, maybe they'll just look at the highest tier of the promote, right? Maybe they'll see a, a 50% promote over a, a 25% IRR hurdle. And they'll think, wow, I'm, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this person 50% of the profits. And they don't necessarily realize that that's already after they've gotten a 25% IRR. Right. Um, so sometimes, again, we'll see some multi-tiered waterfall aversion, right? Definitely the, the more simple you can keep those structures, it's just far easier to understand for people that maybe aren't in the business, right? They're not super sophisticated real estate investors, sophisticated in their own right, right? Obviously, they've, they've done a really good job at creating wealth and, and making this, this investment available. But certainly, simplicity is key when it comes to structure. That makes a lot of sense. Have you noticed as you've gone through the market cycle over the last nine years, have you noticed any changes in both sponsor approach and investor sentiment? You know, I think one of the most challenging things that we've seen is trying to keep 
investor expectations in line with market in terms of pricing and returns, return profiles. You know, we started the company in 2013. A lot of the early players in the space were doing, which we never did, um, we're doing kind of a hard money fix and flip, you know, single family loans for debt products that were higher yield debt. And so I think a lot of the people that were early in this space got somewhat of an unrealistic expectation of what a return profile is for, for a more kind of normal market cycle, right? We saw a huge run up in, in returns and we saw a tremendous performance from you know, coming out of the global financial crisis into you know, even today, right? Even through COVID, we've seen multifamily pricing just continue to skyrocket. And so I would say that's been one of the challenges that we've seen is trying to keep investor expectations in line with so much capital flowing into the space institutional competition for assets, foreign buyers coming in, it's kept the, it's kept the pricing high, right? And, and so as the underwriting changes and, and gets tighter and, and those yields come down from maybe where they were in 2014, 15, trying to make sure that we're doing, you know, again, on, on our podcast and some of the educational material that we put out there, trying to keep investors apprised of, of the reality of underwriting and, and what those uh, what those metrics might look like for for the market conditions from the sponsorship side you know i think that's stayed pretty consistent right i don't think we've seen a ton of of difference in in kind of the, the deal profiles that sponsors are bringing I, I will say you know we've certainly we've come a long way in our industry in total from a you know kind of an experiment on the side in 2013-14 to a pretty meaningful source of capital for a lot of managers, right? I think the kind of the early stigma of, oh, you have to go to a crowdfunding platform, that's certainly gone away, right? And so I think the the caliber of managers that are interested in our space, that continues to grow. The amount of capital that people are raising continues to grow. And this is a, a very viable avenue for managers to capitalize a portion of their equity. So I think the the institutionalization, if you will, of managers that we've seen in our space has, has continued to grow and, and something I think we're, we're very proud of the, the group of managers that we get to work with. If you're at all like us, we see a lot of deals. And when we look at the way many of these projects have been underwritten, we look at them and say, my goodness, this has no chance of seeing the light of day. This is just very, very optimistic. So I'm sure you get to see a lot of that as well. What's your criteria for saying this project is a candidate or this team is a candidate for the platform versus declining for them to participate? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, a lot of it's down to the manager. And so our, you know, we have minimum thresholds to be able to qualify even for review to be on the platform, uh, 50 million of transaction value and, and 10 years of principal experience, which we define those as basically being in a, a GP position with your own cash at risk in those deals. From there, again, we'll do full background checks. We'll review all litigations, track record verification, um, you know, any bankruptcies or any impairments, you know, having having conversations. What was the story? What did you do to protect investors? And then once someone's approved to use the marketplace, then it's their offering, right? So, so we're not structuring deals for the managers. These are managers that are raising capital offline, and then they're coming to the marketplace to raise a portion of the equity through our marketplace as well. So it's not necessarily a replacement of equity. It's more of an augment to the capital that they're raising offline as well. So terms will be the same as what they're raising from their existing network, friends and family and other syndicated investors. Structure is going to be the same. And so the underwriting, you know, if they're, they're raising capital, through their existing network, um, that underwriting is going to persist, and it'll be the same on the marketplace. You know, that said, sure, there's times where things are just so out of line, or there's terms that are just so unfriendly to an investor, or there's inconsistencies in 
how an offering document is structured and what that manager wants to market, right? And in those cases, certainly we'll say, hey, you know, we're not comfortable as a marketplace having that product on our platform. But our, again, our, our focus is really on identifying the managers that are, you know, they have the proven track records, they have the verification that we can put them through and, and have, um, you know, proven themselves as a, as a manager of that capital and, and then giving them access to raise capital in this, in this new format online. I love it. Well, Adam, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Uh, easiest way is just go to realcrowd.com. Uh, you can find us on, on social medias uh, at The Real Crowd. Um, again, if you've got some podcast listeners, you can certainly navigate over to our podcast, uh, Real Estate Investing for Your Future podcast, um, or you know, send us a note, uh, just info at realcrowd.com, and we're, we're pretty available out there. Fantastic. Well, love the conversation. Uh, for listeners at home, definitely connect with Adam at realcrowd.com. That's realcrowd.com. And if you want to email him directly, info at realcrowd.com. The links will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 